Oluwada. Uh, today we're talking to Joe Sacco, uh, the graphic novelist, journalist, and renowned and celebrated comic producer. He is with us today here at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, Canada, uh, and we're talking about comics at first. Uh, what makes comics subversive, or are they inherently subversive? Well, the thing about comics, they I think partly because we're so used to thinking of them in terms of our childhood. Like looking at a comic is like, oh, this is this is going to be easy, you know, it's going to be light somehow. But to me, that's, that's the subversive element mm-hmm. it has. That's why the underground comics in America were so important to me personally, because they showed that you could take that medium and really show some hard things and make some great social, political criticism. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how I look at them. I mean, people pick up comics thinking they're just going to be kind of rubbishy somehow. But uh, it's like any any good documentary film. You can get that information in there. But do you think the comic genre in and of itself was meant to be subversive? or Because nowadays we're seeing all of these this comic production that really is so easily appropriated by the military-industrial complex. It serves a lot of commodification. It pushes agendas that are so unlike what is expected uh, of, of the genre itself. Does it, does it feel like... Uh, the critical dimensions of of the comic genre are either in recession or they exist in sort of pockets of cult following? I think it depends what a person's intentions are. I think intent is really important because images can also be used to put forth state propaganda. I mean, to me, a lot of the superhero comics that that then get turned into films uh, seem to be almost manufactured to glorify, I mean, the ultimate first responders are superheroes, you know? And they do the battles as proxies for people, but really, Superman's basically the army, or whatever it is. So I I find that really troublesome. Mm -hmm. But images can also be used, and have been used since long before I was born, for uh, satirical purposes. I mean, there are a lot of cartoonists, or just image makers, who were taking the piss out of something, or... um, pointing to something. And they seem to have a real impact. I mean, people get really infuriated by images, too. So it's, it's, a, it's like playing with nitroglycerin, in a way. But then again, it depends on the reader, <laughs> yeah. too. Because some readers will respond very uh, easily to, to certain images, and others will respond with violence, thinking they're being, they're being attacked. And, you know, maybe they are being attacked. Mm-hmm. What about, uh, if, you don't, if you don't mind, I want to sort of take us into a, a sort of a more contemporary genre that borrows from the graphic and the comic. Uh, memes and things of that sort, all this like interesting satire and parody and sardonic humor that we're seeing people sort of participate in by manipulating the image uh, in some way, shape, or form. Do you think that that leaves room for perhaps, uh, or there's an opportunity there for the popularization of graphic dissent uh, on a wide scale? Or is that, is that too ambitious or too no, I, excited? I, I, no, I, I think uh, there can be. That way of sort of thinking of images and how to use them, to subvert them, can be used in that way. But again, they can also be used in a way that can lead to frightening results. So again, it's about the intent mm-hmm. of individuals. It's like social media in general. You can use it to create a demonstration for some, some let's say, public good. Mm-hmm. Or you can use it to get a lynch mob together. It, it really depends yeah. on, on, on yeah. what, 
what's going on in people's minds who are setting the, yeah. those things in motion. Do you see it as an opportunity for graphic journalists such as yourselves to um, to reach new audiences, to allow authors to, or to, to kind of expand the notion of authorship in such a way that whereby um, viewers and readers are interacting with your work and your production in a different fashion. You mean through memes and things yeah. like that? Or, th or not, not just memes, but through the mass dissemination of uh, not just in the, in the physical hard copy print form. Um, so in, a, in, in, the, in the online sort of digital uh, platforms. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, again, uh, that, that's an interesting question, but I have been confronted by some of my images being used by anti-Semites. And that, that troubles me. Because ultimately, I am the author of those images, and some people will mistake the manipulation for, well, the very fact that you did that image in the first place means that it, it could have been manipulated, yeah. so therefore my intent is questioned. Mm. So I'm a little hesitant to talk about um, the benefits of it, which I think there really are. With, without sort of mentioning that it can, it can stand on its head. Sure. And I think what you said now kind of speaks to the importance of the sort of original intent, uh, your intent as an artist, and the fidelity of the work as kind of a, an integral kind of unified piece. Because, I mean, your books are, are meant, I mean, they may, they may have be vignettes, but to really comprehend the totality and the complexity of each of the situations that you're characterizing, they sort of have to be read from cover to cover, or is that, or is that something that? You well, I, I would prefer that, okay. um, just because it's meant as a whole. Mm -hmm. And, but I realize we live in a world now where um, musical riffs will be taken from their context and used in other ways. And sometimes those uses are quite good, and other times, you know, you kind of miss the original song. <laughs> so again, you know, it's it's hard for me to. It's hard for me to, to say yes or no on, on a question like that. If someone presented me with something they'd done to my work, some use of it that they'd done, that I thought, okay, that, that's, that has my spirit in it somehow, or, or the spirit of, of what I think basically the work should have, then I can be okay with it. Mm -hmm. So if you, don't, if you allow me to kind of turn the tables a little bit, um, so this is in the, everything we've discussed thus far is related to uh, your work being used or manipulated or transformed in some ways to serve a particular function. What about the works that you haven't used that you've produced? Obviously, your uh, each of these volumes uh, is a holistic piece, but I would suspect that there might be some spillover. There's material that didn't end up. There's a in, ton of material yeah. that doesn't end up. So what become what becomes of these of these works? Where do they That's sit? That's for the archivist to to sift through at some <laughs> some future generation of nuts. Um, you know that that's actually a very that that question sort of troubles me because you know you go to you go to a certain place and you trouble a lot of people for their stories and sometimes you follow someone's story quite closely, only to realize years down the road that well, I finished a number of stories about that particular subject. Maybe I won't get to this one because now my mind is focusing somewhere else. Mm -hmm. That's difficult because in some ways it's like killing off things that you know are there or just basically drowning them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they, they exist in my notes. Um, and perhaps sometimes I will revisit some of those things. In fact, I, I, I sort of intend to revisit a few things that I... Um, had left by the wayside. I mean, one example of that is in, in Bosnia, 
I spent a fair amount of time on, on the other side of the lines with the mm. Bosnian Serb forces that were besieging Sarajevo. And I got to know some people quite well. And some people were really decent. And I never got a, a chance to tell that story. Because, you know, how much time can you spend on, on one particular subject? But I kind of regret that. And sometimes I, I feel like, okay, one day I'm going to turn, turn myself back and look at that, that uh, particular subject again. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of things that, have, that change uh, about the, n- not the works necessarily, but the subject of, of the work that you do. There's something particularly kind of stationary and, and, uh, and very long-term about the subject of Palestine uh, and your historic work. I mean, having, and I think that is a really compelling contribution that you provide. Not uh, that you've sort of ventured outside of the realm of of journalism and its purest sort of uh, essence of the obsession with the present and the future. Um, so, in footnotes in Gaza, uh, you're concerned about 1956. What does it mean to be doing this type of work of doing sort of historic graphic journalism as if you were present at the time? Well, I think it's, I mean, to me, I think it's really important to fill in some of the gaps that you see. I mean, any, anyone who, like, looks at um, the history of that region would know, it seems to me, that something that happened in 1956 that involved so many deaths, for example, and you don't read anything about it, you think, well, why is that? And so you try to fill that in, but then that also creates other questions like, the people you're talking to sometimes will say, why do you care about that when things are going on now? Uh, the Palestinian issue, unfortunately, is one of those, it's like the perennial issue. Now, when I started out, I wasn't convinced that it was going to be a perennial issue. Mm-hmm. And when Oslo was signed, you know, whatever maybe doubts I had in my mind, I thought, well, maybe that's it. Maybe peace is coming to the region. And, you know, my book sort of talks about one particular time and just a point in time. And it does. I mean, ultimately, the books are, have a historical value, I hope. But um, what's sad about that story is so many, so many things have not changed, that they have historical value and a present value, because things, if anything, they're worse. Mm-hmm. Is that part of the reason why um, Palestine keeps coming back for you? I mean, after Palestine, there was the supposition that this was, I mean, it was a, really quite a landmark work. Um, but you somehow decided to return. Palestine comes back to me because um, I feel a fair amount of anger about that situation. I mean, I live in a country, the United States, which uh, basically enables that situation. And until that sort of stops, I'm not going to feel the anger necessary to keep returning to it. I mean, I, I probably return to it because nothing has changed. Um. You seem very, sometimes I should say, sometimes you seem very disenchanted with journalism. And you're, you know, you started off as a journalist, and I read somewhere, and I may be com- completely wrong in this characterization, but you grew bored with journalism, or journalism became boring or tiring, or that it wasn't satisfying or gratifying a particular uh, inclination or aspiration that you had. Or, uh, But there, journalists appear to be really um, conflicted characters in, in much of your work. Uh, who are well, journalists, and are you a journalist, and and what does it ma- does it mean what does it mean to be a journalist to you? Well, you know, I've met so many great journalists along the way, and and truth be told, there are a lot of good, really good mainstream journalists 
that really know a situation well, and we'll talk about it very openly around a dinner at a dinner party. Once they get to be writing their stuff, sud- suddenly there's some sort of institutional mindset that ste- that sort of sets in, and that begins to sort of just sort of massage the work so it'll become pal- more palatable in that institutional way. It doesn't mean they're not good reporters. It, it means they, once they get to that role of actually getting the news out there, they know what's sort of expected of them, and they also know what their editors are going to sort of press them on or tell them to take out. So they begin to sort of soften it somehow, I think. Um, I, I'm never, I've never been bored with journalism. I actually really love speaking to people. I find drawing the journalistic works can be difficult because you're drawing difficult things. Speaking to people is one thing, drawing those stories is another, and drawing takes a lot more out of you than actually being in the field. So that's where I get tired of drawing journalistic comics, but it's not a question of boredom. Would you count yourself in in the midst of the journalistic establishment, given the fact that you are... I mean, you're not necessarily confined to the uh, what appears to be a kind of a necessary formatting or tidying up of work to make sure that it becomes institutionalized. You sort of shatter that, and I think that is also a major contribution of yours. Does that? I appreciate make, that, yeah. but you also you also get pulled into the mainstream in a way. What what was shattering one one you know a couple of decades ago. Now is now you're on a book tour and you're selling your book and CBC TV is interviewing you about your work. I mean, you become mainstreamed. Everything becomes mainstreamed in in a way. So I have a little ambivalence toward that because ultimately, comics. I do think of them. I think of the subversive nature of of the comics I'm interested in. Not all comics are subversive, mm-hmm. definitely not. Sure. But the the things I'm interested in. Are uh, are the subversive ones. So, um, you recognize you've got to make a living. All that sort of yeah. stuff begins to mainstream you to some extent. So it's it's sort of a precarious balance to keep one foot in the I don't know avant garde journalism and one foot in okay now I can put bread on my table you know <laughs> so so um, it, it's a question I constantly yeah. ask myself. I don't have the answer to that one. That was Joe Sacco on this episode of Quick Thoughts here at Status and Wonder.